Good morning, everybody. My name is Shay. It's great to be with you. I'm one of your pastors, and I uh, want to say a good morning to you here in Lakeville and those of you that are in Shakopee and joining us online. It's great to be together this morning. Come on, it's March Madness season. Our brackets are in a mess. It's springtime. Officially, spring has arrived. And it's Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday, we're excited about Palm Sunday. It's the Hosanna Day. It's the day where we remember the time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and they cried out, Lord, save us. We're excited to talk about that today. We're continuing our series today called All About Jesus. And if there's anything we should be talking about, church, talking about at church, it's Jesus. And uh, we've been excited over the last six weeks. We have been going through this idea of what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? How did he position himself in such a way to reveal to us who the Father is? And so we have been fixing our eyes on him. We have been following him throughout his life in ministry, watching what he has done. And it brings us to this moment right here, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and starts the events that happen and unfold over the next week of Passion Week. Now, I don't want to give the story away. I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but you know that this week is kind of a hard week to walk through. Jesus suffers many things through this week, but thank God that's not the end of the story, and you come back next Sunday or next Saturday for our Easter services, and we are going to be celebrating on the other side of the cross when he rises again from the dead, and great victory is won, and the whole earth is rejoicing. That's what we have to look forward to this week. Aren't you excited? I am. My heart is full. For this week, I believe that God's going to do something significant for us as a church as we walk through this time together. Last week, if you missed uh, Pastor Ryan's message, I would encourage you to go watch it online. It would totally be worth your time. He talked to us about this idea that after we have seen the life and times of Jesus, that ultimately what he is doing is he is inviting us into a revolution, a revolution. And he talked to us about this revolution, this idea of drawing a line in the sand and walking from the side of just observing and watching to the side of joining and walking in his footsteps and living this revolution. And Pastor Ryan gave many of us an opportunity to officially join that revolution. It was a powerful weekend. And last week what he did is he talked to us about this idea that every time a revolution takes place throughout history, it starts a brand new kingdom brand new kingdom. And we're asking today this question, what kind of kingdom is this? What kind of kingdom has he brought to us? And so we're going to be in the donkey scene, the scene where Jesus is sitting on a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem. And it's in this moment that he proclaims to all of Israel that he is the Messiah. He is the king. We're going to end up in this scene. It's a powerful scene and it will speak to us what kind of kingdom this is that he is bringing to us. What kind of kingdom it is that he is instituting in this moment, in this powerful scene that we're celebrating today. But before we go there, I want to look at a couple of scenes that surround the Palm Sunday scene because I think that as we see it in context, we'll begin to see what it is about this scene that Jesus creates riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We'll see it with fresh eyes in a new perspective. I'm excited to get there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at today's time together in three separate scenes. And I actually have, I have a clapper to help us. Now there's a part for you to play. When I 
clap. What, what, is, what do people normally say when that happens? Action. So you're going to help me, okay? When I do, do this, you ready? Ah, I got some of you. When, when we clap, you're going to say action, okay? So here we are. We're going to look at scenes that surround good, or, or, uh, Palm Sunday, and we'll end up in Palm Sunday. So scene one is take a knee. Ready? Action. You guys were, you thought I was going to psych you out again, okay? Scene one. Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open that up. Scene one, take a knee. We're going to back up, if Palm Sunday happens on Sunday, we're going to back up a few days, maybe Wednesday or Thursday of the prior week. Here's what's happening all over Israel at this moment. For three years, Jesus has been walking. What's he been doing? What's he been doing? He's been teaching. He's been feeding people. He's been walking on water. He has been healing people. He has raised people from the dead. News about him has spread all over Israel. And there's this mix of expectation that he will become the next king of Israel. Now, here's, this is a very important piece you have to understand today. That many of them saw that through the lens of not him taking up a cross. They saw him taking up a throne and physically reigning in Israel, physically sitting on a throne in Jerusalem and ruling all of Israel. The only problem with that is that the Romans already occupied that seat, okay? Israel was an occupied territory at the time. So when Jesus starts his ministry and people are getting excited and they're seeing miracles happen, they all assume this is the one who will lead the armies of Israel into Jerusalem, throw the Romans out, and he's going to establish God's kingdom right here and right now. And that's what the expectation was of the people. Even, we'll see in this story, even his own disciples got caught up in this idea that Jesus would set up a pure, purely earthly setup and kingdom in Jerusalem at the time. So, in this week, the few days before Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples are not the only ones that are on the road going up to Israel, going up to Jerusalem, excuse me. It is the time of Passover. And the time of Passover for the Jews was a national celebration, a national holiday. So Jewish people from all over the country of Israel and all over the world would have been coming together for a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem at this time. Thousands and thousands of people are on the road with Jesus and his disciples a few days before Palm Sunday as they are journey on the journey up to Jerusalem. Now, we kind of know where this is because there were only so many routes that the people would take, and that road is still there today. It, uh, it starts in Jericho, and it kind of goes up through the wilderness walk, and we know where that is, and it ends up high in the mountains in Jerusalem. And the story, scene one, take a knee, is Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he decides, I've got to prepare these guys for, uh, for what's about to happen when we get to Jerusalem. Here's the thing. This was not a fun week ahead for Jesus. Jesus understood that he was about to suffer many things, and this was going to be a painful week. This was going to be a week of, of, of crying, a week of tears, a week of sweating drops of blood because of the pressure that was on him during this week. So Jesus, on the road, as they're walking to go to Jerusalem for Passover, he tells his disciples, the Son of Man, or I, am going to go up, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to suffer many things. And I'm going to be falsely accused, and they're going to kill me, and I will give my life as a ransom for many. 
So here's Jesus. He's pouring out his life. He's pouring out his heart to these guys. He's saying, guys, please help me. Now, if you were, if you were in that crowd, how would you have heard that as his disciple? Maybe you and I, we might say to Jesus, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Can I carry something? Can I help carry you? What can I do for you? As Jesus tells them, I'm going to go lay down my life. If we were in that crowd of disciples, maybe we would have said, Lord, we, we, will, we will go ahead. We'll make sure that this week we can do everything we can around this week. But do you know what the disciples said to him in response to this? We have it written down for us. Look at this, Mark chapter 10. This is kind of kind of comical. It's a bit sad too. Verse 35. After Jesus pours out his heart and he tells them, I'm going up to die. This is what happens. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come over and they speak to him. Teacher, they said. And I think Jesus at this point is going, okay, they're going to be here for me. They said, we want you to do us a favor. So Jesus says, okay, what's your request? He asked. They replied, When you sit in your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and one on your left. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. You know what this moment is like? Have you ever had that moment where you're giving your kids the lecture? It's a beautiful lecture. You've got them at the dinner table. This happened recently. I had my kids at the dinner table. I said, guys, we've got to talk. Bring it in. They said, yes, Father. (laughs) Speak to us. I began to explain to them the necessity of reducing our carbon footprint on this planet and turning off lights when they leave their bedrooms and explaining to them how God has only given us so many resources and we need to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us and that we need to be disciplined about turning the lights off when we don't need them so that we can save on the electricity bill. And I was pouring my heart out to these young disciples. And they, I could see it in their eyes. They were getting it. And the wheels were turning. And they were understanding the need to be good stewards. And Chase, my son, raises his hand, seven years old. And I think in the moment, yes, son, you're getting it. And I fully expected him to say, Father, how can I be a better son to you? And so I said, yes, Chase. And in the middle of my lecture, he says, yeah, can I have the iPad? <laughs> you ever had a moment like that? That's this moment right here, okay? Jesus is explaining to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm giving my life. Yes, James and John. Yeah, when you... When you get your throne, can we sit on the right hand and on the left and be in places of power when you get there? (laughs) And so Jesus, this is what the the story goes. He says, all right, guys, bring it in, take a knee. Look what he says to them. This is important. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. The the, the reason why they were mad is because James and John beat them to the punch, right? (laughs) And so Jesus calls them together, take a knee, he says. He doesn't really say that, but it's in there. You can see it. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. In other words, those that are in this world, the way the power structure works is leaders in position love to lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. 
Look what he says, though. Verse 43. But among you it will be different. Would you just say that out loud with me? But among you it will be different. One translation says, among you it shall not be so. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Can you see the revolutionary idea that is being sown, the seed that's being sown in the minds and hearts of the disciples in this moment? Jesus just told, told, to, told them, I'm going up to Jerusalem to give my life, and they can't even hear it because in their mind, all they understand power and authority to be is the pyramid structure. Of There are a few that sit at the top and have clawed their way to the top, and the rest of the structure exists for the person sitting at the top. In their mind, they can only see the ministry of Jesus through the lens of he is about to go take his throne in Israel, and we get to come along for the ride. We're going to be rulers too. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking that pyramid and he's turning it upside down. What he is saying to them is, you guys, I am coming into my kingdom, that's for sure. But it is not a kingdom that you're used to. It will not look like you think it will look. It is an upside down kingdom. Where the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. The greatest among you, those that sit, it's not that you can't have positions of power. It's not that you can't sit in those seats, but that you see that through the lens of the organization or the people or the structure existing for you. No, 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 no. You see that as you are there to be a servant of all. The upside down pyramid. Jesus radically introduces a brand new leadership idea into the life and history of humanity. Nobody was talking about it this way at the time of Jesus. What we're talking about is humility. What we're talking about is countercultural. What we're talking about is counterintuitive, where you don't fight for your rights. You don't claw over the people in front of you to get ahead. That you don't try to outperform and outmaneuver in order to get into the front of the line. What Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What I am doing. I am flipping the thing on its head. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. The kingdom of God is upside down and it's among you. It's the scene. So he's doing his very best to teach his disciples and bring them along. It's the end of the scene. The second scene that I want to look at today together is a few days after Palm Sunday. We're going to come back to Palm Sunday, but this is a few days after Palm Sunday. This is the scene, we're going to call it the towel. Are you ready? The towel and action. This is the scene in the upper room. You may, have been, you may be familiar with this, this scene in the upper room. The upper room scene is where Jesus first institutes the, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion. It's the first time that he serves this to them. But John records something very interesting about this scene that the rest of the Gospels do not record. John tells us of an extra piece of the story where before dinner, Jesus gets up from the table and he walks over to the servant station, the place where the house servant would have been. And their job was to come and alongside of those that had come in from a long day walking around Jerusalem, 
their feet would have been dirty. And this servant, we wouldn't have known their name. They would have probably been over in the corner, kind of hiding in the shadows, only there when called upon. But this servant would come over, and they would wash the feet of the master of the house. And what Jesus does is a very provocative thing. He goes over, and he picks up the towel from this servant station, and he puts it on. And this time, Jesus takes a knee. Do you know what happens here? He takes this towel and this bowl, and he walks around to each disciple, and he begins to wash their feet. This was provocative in a lot of ways. One of the ways we know that it it struck Peter the wrong way. Peter, what does Peter say? Do you know? Peter says, you should not be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. What's he reacting to? He is reacting to his expectation of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. His expectation is that Jesus is going to, by force, take the kingdom and sit on a literal throne, and he is going to rule over everybody. And so that kind of power structure has no place for a leader who's going to put on a towel and take up the servant's role. You see what's going on here? This is kind of like, have you ever seen Undercover Boss on TV? That's kind of what's going on here. He's identifying with the lowest common denominator in that social setting at the time. And what he says to them is a very powerful thing that I think will set up for us nicely what he's doing on Palm Sunday. Look at what he says. Jesus, after washing their feet, verse 12, he put on his robe. This is John 13. He put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. The other night I was putting Kendall to bed. My Kendall's my firstborn. And she is, she is head, what we call headstrong. In fact, we use strength finders around here that identifies your top strengths, and one of them is command. And, and my, my daughter, she loves to boss everybody around. And I was with Chris Gresseth one time. We were watching Kendall boss everybody around, and I said to Chris, I said, I think my daughter has command. He said, yeah, it's also called bossy. <laughs> so I was putting Kendall to bed, and I'm, I'm like, okay, i got to help her with this. And I said, Kendall, you have the raw ability to be a leader. You're going to be a leader in your life. But you have to decide what kind of leader you're going to be. You love to boss people around and tell people what to do. And, and if you learn to refine that, that's going to be a good thing. You're going to be able to lead people in the right direction. But right now, honey, you've you got to figure out some tools to put in that toolbox to kind of help people along as you're leading them. So I said, for example, what if I said to you right now, if I wanted you to take out the trash, I said to you, Kendall, take out the trash. I said, how would that make you feel? She's like, I, I wouldn't want to take out the trash. I said, yes. This is another one of those fatherly wisdom moments here. <laughs> and I said, but, but if I came to you and I said, let's do it together. I will help you. Let's take out the trash. How would that make you feel? She's like, yeah, I would want to do it. At this moment, my wife is walking by her Kindle's room. She hears our conversation and she leans in. And says to me, yeah, kind of like you just told me to go downstairs and make you a sandwich. I said, Kendall, don't listen to your mother. She's confused. 
<laughs> I'm going to pay for that one later. So this is this idea that Jesus is setting up, right? What's he doing? He's got the towel on. And he, again, is reaffirming to his disciples, I, what I am doing is I am giving you an example. I want you to be the people that are not known for your positions of power and, and ruling over everybody, telling everybody what to do. I want you to be known as the people who are walking around with the spiritual towel and you're cleaning people's lives. And by the way, isn't this what he did in the cross? He took on the towel. He stretched out his arms just a few days later. He took on the towel, stretches out his arms, and he cleans all of us. And to the point that if you are in here today and you feel like God's mad at you or you have regret in your past, I would just say to you, my dear friend, Jesus teaches us by taking on the towel that he, God is not mad at you, that he loves you, and that he is willing to wash you clean and wash all the dirt off of your life from walking through the world every day. And if you'll allow him, he will make you a brand new person from the inside out. That's what the towel tells us. This is who Jesus is. And we are called to do the same. That's what he says to his disciples. That's scene two. So now I want to look at scene three. Scene three is this powerful day, Palm Sunday. A donkey and some leaves. Scene three, action. Scene three, now we return to our Sunday scene. We've looked at Jesus walking up and taking the road to Jerusalem, and he's going through the Wadi Kelp, and he's walking through the wilderness, and he's teaching his disciples about what's going to happen. We've seen what happens later in the week, around Thursday, where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and it's a few hours before he is arrested and sent to the cross. So we back up to Sunday, the kind of sandwiched right in between. Now we're ready to see this scene with new eyes and a fresh perspective. This scene unfolds for us. All four Gospels record this for us. But this, this scene unfolds for us that Jesus tells his disciples to go prepare on Palm Sunday, go prepare a cult, the cult of a donkey. Now, th this is important because I want you to see, I, gotta, I want to show you this picture. Look at this. This is a donkey and its cult. Now, it's interesting. The four Gospels don't all tell the story the same way. Matthew says that Jesus said, go get both of these. Go get the donkey and the colt. And then Matthew also says that Jesus, this is, I want to set this for you. This is kind of a funny scene. That they put clothes, they, they laid their cloaks over both of them. And Jesus rides them into Jerusalem. In other words, it's kind of this scene that Matthew paints for us. Just imagine this. They kind of get these two side by side. They throw some clothes over them, and Jesus is kind of straddling both of these as he comes into Jerusalem. It's kind of a funny scene. That's what Matthew says. The, uh, Mark, Luke, and John say that he rode the calf, or that he rode the colt of the, the, the donkey. So pick your poison. Either way, it's a ridiculous scene. He's either straddling both of these at the same time or he's riding a large dog into Jerusalem. <laughs> Do you see this? Okay. And what in the world is happening here? What is he, do what is he doing? We, we see it. We've, we've heard it so many times we don't even see some of these details. But Jesus crests over the Mount of Olives. When he does that, he's riding the colt or both of these donkeys at the same time. And 
as he crests over the, the hill, he could see all of Jerusalem in front of him, the city. And what happens is, the Bible tells us that the, the, the followers come along and they begin to celebrate. Let's, let's just kind of see what it says here. We'll read it for ourselves. Verse 35, so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Okay, so let's, let's look at this scene. Remember the expectation of his people. I think that there was an expectation, let me put it in modern terms, that Jesus would have crested over that hill in a tank or an armored vehicle. Instead, he comes over the mountain and people are excited for their king to come and he's riding a tricycle. (laughs) It's kind of what's going on here. In fact, we know, we know at the time, whenever a Roman ruler would come into a city that had been conquered, he would ride a white war horse. And he would ride in triumphantly making a statement, surrounded by soldiers, making a statement that we are in charge, do not mess with us. Some theologians have even pointed out that at the beginning of Passover, around the same time that Jesus is coming up over the Mount of Olives, that Pilate, the Roman governor, would have been coming down from his palace and entering into the city exactly the way I just described to you, riding his white horse, surrounded by soldiers, making a statement to the Jewish people that are coming from all over the world, convening on that city, don't cause any problems, I'm in charge. And might it be that at the exact time that he's coming in one side of the city on his war horse, Jesus is cresting the hill on the colt of a donkey. What's going on here? It's theater. Jesus is making a statement. It's a prophetic act to say, yes, I am coming into my kingdom, folks. But it is not the way you think. In fact, if we'll hear it with open ears... He challenges us all the way through the ages and it hits us clear in the heart today. Think about this, would you? What if in fact Jesus was telling us as they began to sing Hosanna, Lord save us, and he's riding his tricycle into Jerusalem that I am coming as the suffering servant and that is the way forward to peace. Translate this into our context. Come on, we we live in a world right now, anytime you turn on the news, what's going on? The election, the election season. Or, Or think about how you grew up and you were taught, I was taught this way our whole lives. We grew up in a culture that the entire point, the entire goal is to advance up the pyramid to get to towards the top so that you could be in a place of position and notoriety and that you could have that position that pays well and that you can do well in life and accomplish big things and get and gather more and more stuff. But what Jesus speaks to us is he says, look, What I am doing is I am bringing in an upside-down kingdom. And if our world ever needed this concept more, it needs it today. Today is when we need to hear this. Does this challenge you? Because it challenges the heck out of me. I start thinking about, how do I do this as a pastor? How do I see 
my kids is not existing for me and my happiness and my pleasure at, at home, but me being there to be the, ser- the greatest servant of all as the father and the family laying down my life for my kids. How do I teach them to live life upside down? What does it look like for us to spend our money upside down? What does it look like for us to do our politics upside down? What does it look like for us to lead in our positions of leadership and influence upside down? And what does it look like for us to be in a power structure no matter where you find yourself? You could be the dishwasher at Denny's. You could be, you could be the CEO of a great big Fortune 500 company. But all of us are confronted with this idea that Jesus has called us to live life not for ourselves and to get what we can get, but to give our lives for those around us. That this is how the kingdom comes. And this is what we will see happen this week as we follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And he does sit on his throne, but it doesn't look like a golden throne in the heart of Jerusalem, but it's the cross outside of the city gates. He doesn't take on a crown of gold. He takes on a crown of thorns. And this way he comes into his kingdom. This is the message of Palm Sunday. And we say, Lord, save us. And he says, I will. But it may not look like the way you think it should look. Teaching you a new way. By the way, by the way, what happened to Rome? You know, inside of 300 years, if you know your church history here, inside of 300 years, Christianity literally took over the entire Roman Empire. Not because they had a microphone, not because they had their mascot in office, but because they served one another, and they loved one another, they took care of the poor. And as they began to live this upside-down kingdom, it began to spread like wildfire all over the Roman Empire, and inside of 300 years, Rome itself declared itself to be Christian. That speaks to us today, too. Upside down. One of my favorite, uh, I'm going to end with this, one of my favorite characters, uh, people from history in the the church world, is a man by the name of St. Francis of Assisi. Very quickly, St. Francis of Assisi was born in 1181 or 2, depends on who you ask. St. Francis of Assisi came from a wealthy family. He was a young man. He lived a party lifestyle. He was living it up. 1181, he was born. He was in Italy at the time. His father was a wealthy merchant, trader, traded with France a lot. They had a lot of money. Francis grew up very uh, wealthy. He grew up very privileged, and he lived it to its fullest. When he was in his early 20s, he decided he wanted to gain glory. He wanted to make a name for himself, so he joined the Crusades to go and fight in the name of God. But on the way there, he had a vision. And the way that he would describe it is that God spoke to him and said, you are to turn around and go back to your hometown. This is not what I have for you. So he went back to his hometown. He faced a lot of of ridicule. People didn't understand. And he began this journey of giving his life to Jesus. Eventually what Francis would do is he would renounce all of his wealth. He gave it back to his dad. He said, no, thank you. He began to live among the poor in his town. And he began to do mighty works among the people. And God used him in a mighty way 
We see that he, he was the friend of lepers and he brought about great change in the church at the time because he decided to give his life and live in this upside down kingdom. Do we all have to do that? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no matter where we are, we have this opportunity to live upside down. The reason why I bring up St. Francis is because he has this great prayer that has survived through the ages that we can still pray today. And it's one that I pray a lot. I pray it multiple times during the week. But it's one I thought we could pray together as we kind of close this time and we get ready to sing our final hosannas. The words are on the screen. Would you pray this out out loud with me? This is the prayer of St. Francis. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to be understand, or to be loved, sorry, as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Lord, may we live in your upside down kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.